Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue episode number 76. This interview recorded on October 1st, 2013 is with Max Mason, founder and owner of Big Bang Restaurants based in Oxford, England. Max is not my normal type of guest in that he is an SMB entrepreneur running a restaurant that has integrated some new pioneering digital technologies. I always enjoy the chance to talk with some more operational activities and there's nothing more down to earth than a man or woman running his own business. Plus, if you're in the area, Max has an offer for listeners of this podcast. Hope you'll enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, Pike, directly from uh, Oxford, England, I have Max Mason, someone I met uh, just this last week at Social Media Week, and he's, got, he's, he's doing something really interesting in uh, technology and food. Say no more. That's a tease. Max, tell us who you are and what you are up to. Minda, hi. How are you? Um, I have an unusual background. Uh, I spent eight years as a Royal Naval officer making charts of the seabed of the Antarctic, amongst other things. So that gives me a very different mindset, I suppose, to many caterers. Uh, when I left the Navy, I was aware that you couldn't get much good British independent food in Britain. So I opened a sausage and mash restaurant offering 40 different types of sausage, 12 different types of mash, all sourced from within 20 miles of Oxford. All right. Well, so th- the name of your restaurant is Big Bang, Ma- uh, Big Bang, right? Big Bang. Yes, indeed. And yeah, so how Big Bang you- as in... Obviously, the start of everything was in bangers. So when sausages were made in wartime England, there was so much water content that when they, that when they were cooked, they would explode, and we were worrying that it was the onset of another war. Brilliant. So that's where that came from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's cool. So um, you have how long have you opened up this particular location? So in this location, only for eight months, but in Oxford for the past nine and a half, ten years. Wow. All right. So uh, tell us about what is your concept? Because I think obviously this is an interesting and you've got some new, new texture to the way you're dealing with restaurants. Yeah. So we've moved into a complex called the Oxford Castle Quarter, which is, I think, one of the most beautiful parts of Oxford. It's privately owned. Uh, I don't need to go through the council or the colleges who run most of Oxford to get things done. And it's stunning. I have a huge restaurant with 180 covers. I have a massive area outside where we've had the Oxford Beach. Uh, anyone on, uh, engaged with social media in London will probably have encountered talk about the Oxford Beach this summer. And what I'm trying to do is engage with social media as much as I can because I think that small businesses have too little at their disposal to ignore it and uh, not to interact with it very heavily. Right, and you're the big bang concepts. You've got your, your bangers and mash on it with a lot of interesting different types of food. Tell us about the food concept and your technology concept. Sure. So the food concept is quite simple, I suppose, that I drew a 20-mile circle around it, and I was staggered that the dining experience in Britain, certainly nine years ago, had no mention of ethics, had no mention of supporting local or driving local, and you had, I think there's a De Montfort study, De Montfort Leicester University study, saying that there is an average of 3,000 food miles on every chain restaurant plate. I went to the restaurant where there was an average of 100 miles and no more, and it benefited as many local businesses as I could. So we get 
Um, sausages made by eight local farmers. We get beers from 10 local brewers, uh, vegetables grown in local farms. I even work with local prisons who not only rear pigs for us, but they grow vegetables for us as well. Hmm. So when you say 100 miles, then what we're saying is, let's say the, the venison sausage has come 22 miles, Absolutely. plus the, the, the beer has come from 34, and all of that has to add up to less than 100. Absolutely that, yeah. So our, most of our breweries are within five miles. Uh, the farmers are all within 14, 15 miles of Oxford. So when you take each of the constituent parts, there are normally only four ingredients on a plate, uh, and they should add up to about 100 miles. Right, so, so we've got, on the one hand, we've got this, this notion of locality and, uh, and great ingredients. The thing that I've, uh, I've, I think has to be a, a corollary to that is sustainable development. So how so you got you're obviously doing less on the mileage to get in so less transportation you're helping the local area but what about the actual runnings the mechanics of a restaurant and and you know cutting down waste and these other things Are you, how have you approached that yeah so that that adds a whole other dimension because actually the whole mindset is that you pay each of your local suppliers a fair amount of money and you buy in all of your demographic to the fact that you pay people a fair amount. So you need to actually, because you're not selling a plate of sausage and mash for a huge amount of money, you need to be able to cut costs wherever you can. What I've done is I've introduced, and this seems like a bit of an oxymoron, I've introduced iPad operations um, to the restaurant, which have actually axed my staffing costs by over 25% and allowed me to elevate the standard of product that I'm offering because it's such one-on-one engagement with the customer. Right. So anyone who's looking to axe 25% of their staffing cost, not that you know I, we have to support employment and all that, but that sounds like an amazing opportunity. So tell us about exactly how you've managed that. Sure. So when I was setting the place up, I wanted to look at till systems, and your average till system, I suppose, would cost four and a half to £5,000 sterling. Um, and you get a system which, in my opinion, is very archaic. Uh, even the new ones you get are most likely to be outmoded within two years, three years. And, you know, we've seen people walking around restaurants with PDAs. We've seen people walking around with pads of paper and going back to a till that's on the bar. What I'm able to do with the iPads is I have um, Revel Systems, which we were the first company to import from America, from San Diego. And I walk around. I've got, hundred, as I say, 170 seats. And I walk around, and I'm one-on-one interfacing with every customer to take their order. Um, Any drinks orders that I take go straight back to the bar where there's a printer and where staff are producing the drinks, hopefully to bring to the table while I'm still taking the food order. And then in the the next click of a button, uh, the food order has been sent to the kitchen with any instructions that I want to send. And it's increased my ability to serve and satisfy customers tenfold. It's really been very noticeable. Right, so th- these iPads are in the hands of your service, or you in particular, but in servers in general. Yes, so we've only got two in the whole restaurant. Uh-huh. One is static, which forms the function of my, my base till system, I suppose. And the other is mobile, which forms the function of a waiter's pad. Uh, and actually, I've trained my staff up to know that if there are two or three tables that are waiting for a long time, because... Let's be honest, one person serving 170, 180 seats is quite a stretch. It's quite tricky. Um, but the second iPad then is fixed. And if we need to, people can go out with a pad of paper and take an order the old-fashioned way 
and then input that to the secondary station. And are, you, are your staff trained, all trained on this iPad, or is it only you? The amazing thing is, Peter, that every single kid that we take, and our, our demographic of staff are between 18 and 27, and they're also okay with iPads and with the Apple operating system. They need less than an hour's training on the system itself to be able to perform the basic operations. Uh-huh. And so um, one of the things that I, I've uh, observed, because I've been to, I don't know, something like 75 different stores and restaurants around the world using technology as part of the interface. Yeah. And the challenge oftentimes is, well, the thing bugs, or um, I, I end up looking at the technology as opposed to my customers. How do you, how do you find that working for you? It's very tricky. Um, and actually, when you're more au fait with the system, um, and I think people in the industry, or my industry, should be able to recognize the characteristics of different parts of their customer base. If you get your man in his 50s in a suit, he's not going to want to be engaged with a member of staff who's got their eyes down looking at the iPad. If you've got young, um, you know, 30-something demographics, you can tell from their body language and the way they approach you that they almost want to be placed in their own order. They want to know about the iPad. They want to see what you're doing. And the same with families. I end up handing the iPad to a family to make sure that the kids order their own food. And there's a real excitement there for them. But, but it does have its limitations that you need to recognize which of your clientele really just want the order taken from a human who's then relaying it to the computer as um, innocuously as they can. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have online booking... We do. So we have online booking both through Facebook and through the website. All right. So what do you have a breakdown of the analytics of how many of your reservations are being done uh, online? Yeah, very interestingly, we have not yet had a booking through Facebook. It's something that people don't think of engaging with to make a booking. We know that lots and lots of people go there to find out about the restaurant, to find out what we're doing. Um, to be receptive to the stuff that we're putting there. But I've not yet had one person, despite the fact that if you go to Facebook forward slash the Big Bang Restaurant, you can make a, a booking more easily than you could by email. Um, but interestingly, nobody's done. And what about your overall number of reservations being done online versus calling in? So without Facebook, 40% are done online using the um, portal on the website, on my own website. Yeah. About 8 to 10% are done on, on Twitter with tweets, so people are more uh, disposed to do it through a tweet. Uh, and the rest are done still through phone calls because a lot of our demographic are the students. Uh, and the tourists that are coming will want to just walk in and have a table of two to four to six maybe. All right, so um, you're clearly using social media. Uh, tell us about how you've structured that and who's managing it. I... I think there's no substitute for doing it yourself. So um, not because it's a better quality, but because once you've created a dialogue and you've created a language with your, your listenership, it's, it's sort of dangerous to change that and get other people doing it. They don't understand. And this is quite a personality-led restaurant, so I think people want to engage in, with me uh, rather than with somebody that's tweeting about deals we're offering or something else. So we have, um, um, I think we have 1,200 to 1,500 likes on Facebook. Um, I've sent 13,500 tweets from Big Bang Max, 
and we've got 2,000 odd followers. And then Big Bang Ox, which is the more commercial um, uh, Twitter handle or Twitter, Twitter account, is one that I have almost a matching number of followers and those following. All right. What's what is um if you if you look at your uh, your Facebook page, what are the types of posts that have been the most effective for you? Videos. So as I said earlier, we've created a. Um, oh, in fact, incidentally, I think I ought to mention that um, if you're on a business Facebook page, on the bottom within um, the insights box, which says "See All," is the matrix for me. It's the way of running a business so effectively that not many small business owners actually utilize. But it's so helpful. And if you're at a level in your business where you have enough likes that it's really useful data, then nobody, no small businessman should be running their business without a heavy reliance upon the Facebook Insight sort of portal. All right, so let's let's go through the uh, Facebook Insights and imagine you're going in. What are the things that you're looking at to help sort of figure out what to do better, drive it. So very interestingly, I'm now going into people, and I've seen that our fans, despite the fact that we're in a very strong university town and that, let's say, 85 to 90% of my marketing targets the students, my demographic of fans are 23% and 16%, respectively, of women and men between the age of 25 and 34. So the students, despite the fact that they're the ones that you'd expect to be on Facebook more than anyone else, aren't my strong demographic, which is very interesting. I mean, that, that you know, for anyone who's got a slight interest in marketing should pique your interest and, and work out, you know, why that is exactly. And I, I don't have a full answer to that. Um, but I know that 25 to 34, for me, is the demographic I'd actually like to be aiming for, but it surprises me. Mm. And then... Uh, does is have you looked at trying to figure out video being more tailored to that uh, audience, or is there? I mean, because there's a limit to how much one can create. There is, and I've got maybe five or six videos that we put out, with we that I've put out with me again as the front man, and they've had a larger um, uptake and a larger impact through Facebook, both um, viral and organic, than anything else we've done. I think we put out, um, when we built the beach, I took 34,000 photographs from a webcam that was, uh, it was a you know speeded up process that took a week and a half to build. And we put that out as a 50 second video, which had a 12% engagement. So 12% of the whole demographic that liked the Big Bang on Facebook were engaging with a video. Mm-hmm. And that surely is is an incredible figure. You know, to get 12% of your whole demographic engaged is what all of us would love. It certainly is. Right, so you you have um, how many staff? Uh, We have seven, five at any time. Uh And and so they're generally younger? Yeah. In fact, they're two different slants. And this is where the impact of of technology is interesting. I try to incorporate a lot of ex-offenders and still serving offenders because we're actually within the Oxford, the old Oxford jail. So that's where it becomes interesting because actually the guy in his mid-40s who's served or is serving a life sentence isn't someone who's able as easily to pick up the, the iPad and learn the system. Um, 
But actually then learning that and teaching them a life skill is something that is also part of our corporate social responsibility approach and, and, you know, giving them as much benefit as we can. Okay, I just need to just backpedal just a wee bit here. So (laughs) you (laughs) want to make sure I understand this. So you have people who are serving, who are coming from prison, who are actually serving sentences. Yeah. And life sentences. Yeah. And you're teaching life skills. Yeah. And actually more interestingly than that, when we pay them, we pay them the same amount as we pay anyone else. 60% of their salary goes to victim support charities and 40% goes into a bonded account that they don't have much access to until after they've been released, which means that you're really creating an incredible social impact. Wow, no kidding. That, that's, that's a revelation for me, Max. That's quite fun. I'm, I'm digesting that sausage. <laughs> That's brilliant. But I mean, so going back to this notion of social, uh, so you're managing it. You're a one-man show in this respect because it's you who are doing, you're doing the emceeing or the maître d' and, um, and, and taking all the orders and providing, you know, your flavor throughout that. But that yeah. surely is a lot of work to do also because you, know, you have to do the admin. You have to, I mean, you know how, we know how it is to be a business. Um, but you've got younger folks who are really good on iPad. Do you not? What, what, what's your approach to adding them into the flavor of your Twitter handle and and your Facebook page? Is it not at all, or do you see an av- a future for that? I don't, and simply because I'm a great um, advocate of work clever rather than work hard. I live on a houseboat. I love a lot of time on holiday. Um, I am able, and we over seven years of using Twitter. I've sent fourteen thousand tweets, so that's six maybe every couple of days. And I think that actually passing that to somebody else and allowing them to do your interaction is a weakness that my business can't afford. It's also a, you know, an ego trip that I like to indulge. Right. I'm going to, cause I, I'm going to, I'm going to push back. Yeah. yeah. Let's say you've got, you, cause you, you've targeted what a, a million pounds is a kind of a, a turnover. a turnover figure. Then you want to open up a second, a third. We can't have, well, I mean, you can't reproduce yourself. Although, could you? Ah. The great thing about Twitter is, and Facebook, is that, yes, you're not able to do the local message, which, and the local message is most commonly a direct sale, but actually the overarching message or the insight about ethics or about corporate social responsibility, about the brand values, is something that one person can still do on Twitter from any distance. And I think, actually, the strength of the personality behind this brand the same way that, you know, a Jamie Oliver tweet was done from Jamie and sent out to however many Jamie Oliver restaurants. And I think it's it's an important thing to retain because whilst so many other things would get diluted through a franchise model or a modern form of franchise, the social media message is one that you can't afford to dilute. Right, well, I get that. But I, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm in a business. I'm a marketing director of a, of a company and I want to, want to manage this, you know, I'm the one that sort of got the, I understand the brand the best. So I think there's a lot of parallels to how companies are, are thinking about who should be running social media. Can I delegate it? Or, or of course there's a reverse and many companies are actually delegating it to the, the next trainee and then they're run, you know, running through the mill of trainees. And so there's a, a real absence of consistency in the messaging yeah, uh, and of you know the feeling of the brand and and you know lots of spelling mistakes because they they're not quite as practiced as we might be. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, you know, in the end of the day, this sounds like more like 
Max's Twitter handle as opposed to Big Bang's Twitter handle. Yes, and, and so I do. And I, I have Big Bang Max and Big Bang Ox, and Big Bang Ox is designed to be diluted to be um, a more marketing-led chain, a more marketing-led stream, whereas Big Bang Max is designed to be more overarching, more um, ethically driven, I suppose. All right, and last question for you, Max. What are the tools that you use uh, to help you manage your business other than Revel Systems? What are the other? What are your favorite uh, apps or tools uh, to, to to do your social media? I, I love Hootsuite. Um, I think Hootsuite is a fabulous way um, of keeping track of your business and keeping track of your target um, group of influencers, I suppose. So between Hootsuite, Facebook. And Revel, I could be, and in fact, most noticeably, I was on the slopes in Switzerland in February. I noticed a spike on my iPhone uh, of trade that I didn't expect and that we hadn't staffed for accordingly. I sent a tweet to a member of staff who lived around the corner and said, I'd very much appreciate you going in two hours. And I tweeted saying, we're doing a special offer this evening, um, you know, an extra free sausage or something. Um, so between the three of those, I can be absolutely anywhere in the world and almost, almost be maintaining as much of a handle on my business as I would if I were here. How fun. Well, Max, so I understand you're prepared. If anyone is in Oxford, you've got a little idea for them. Absolutely. Um, the Big Bang is um, it's about the holy trinity of sausage. So whether in summer that be a barbecue or a breakfast or a plate of any of our our zoo-like plates of bangers and mash. Um, if anyone quotes Big Bang Max's slacks um, to any of my staff over the next month or two, um, we'll give them an extra free sausage of their, their choice on the menu. Uh, and that could be a wild pigeon and peach. It could be a venison and red currant. It could be as simple as a pork and root. Well, mouth-watering stuff, Big Bang. Big Bang, uh, Max. And um, so ha- uh, any other uh, links that I should, uh, or how are the best best way to to contact you or uh, get a reservation? Yeah, sure. So um, Facebook forward slash The Big Bang Restaurants. Be the first person to make a booking through that. Um, if not, then Twitter at Big Bang Max or at Big Bang Ox or drop into Oxford. We're in the Oxford Castle Corso right in the middle of town uh, and we're planning on having some fun here over the next 12 months or so. Excellent. Well, I'm going to have to make my way. Obviously, it's not going to happen now between now and Christmas because of my travel, but I will try and make my way up there, Max. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for that. Enjoy and have a good bang tonight. Bye-bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset, or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.